Psalm 103 is a psalm of thankful praise. The superscription reveals that David is the psalmist. Upon reflecting on God's goodness and mercy, David can only respond by giving thankful praise to God. He is so overjoyed by God's goodness and mercy that he calls upon the angels and all of creation to join him in thankful praise. The question we must ask is how often do we give thankful praise to God? Perhaps our lack of praise is due to a lack of reflecting upon God's goodness and mercy. As we consider this psalm, we're going to divide it into several parts. First, we'll begin by looking at God redeeming in verses 1 through 5. Then we'll look at God reigning in verses 6 through 10. Then we'll consider God's recovering in verses 11 to 14. And then God's recompensing, verses 15 to 18. And finally, God's ruling in 19 to 22. So as we consider this psalm of thankful praise, let's see several things that we can be thankful and praising God for. Beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your heart with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Let's begin with thankful praise because God is redeeming. God redeeming. David begins in verse 1, speaking his mind, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What does it mean to bless God? The Hebrew word there, bless, in the PL form, means to express solemn words that show appreciation, gratitude, respect, relationship, and goodwill on the part of the speaker. Literally, David is promoting respect for God. When God is the object of the term blessing, it should always be rendered as praise. So David is praising Yahweh. He is giving praise for God's holy name, that is, his presence and his authority. And as he blesses this God, the only God, Elohim, Yahweh, he throws himself into worship. All that is within me, he is worshiping with his entire being. He is literally making himself a living sacrifice. He repeats the call again in verse 2, adding this thought, forget not all his benefits. David is giving everything he has to God in worship. He remembers everything that God has done for him. And so he asks God, do not forget your benefits. What are God's benefits? Well, verses 3 to 5 explain those benefits. God's first benefit is that he pardons all our iniquities. This is all part of God redeeming. He pardons all of our iniquities. That is, he forgives. The second benefit from God is that he heals all your diseases. That is, he removes your sins. This is not necessarily physical diseases here. This is speaking about the disease of sin. The third benefit is that God redeems us or rescues us from the pit. And of course, here the idea of pit is eternal death in hell. He redeems us from hell. The fourth benefit is that God crowns us with loving kindness. That's covenant love and tender mercies, which is the plural intensive of compassions, many compassions. The final benefit, the fifth benefit, is that God satisfies your years with good things. That is, he blesses you throughout the days of your life. He renews you because he has saved you. As Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Now, God redeeming. Let's look at God reigning in verses 6 through 10. 
The Lord performs righteous deed and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He'll not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. David looks and sees God's mercy. His mercy for him, his mercy for others, for all sinners. He begins with the fact that God performs righteousness. That is, God is faithful to his covenant. He performs justice or judgment on behalf of all those who are oppressed. Next, David provides for us documentation, the Exodus. He made known his ways, his plans to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. He delivered them from bondage. In doing so, he showed his righteousness. He showed his judgments by judging Pharaoh. He showed Israel got his justice. Yahweh is merciful and gracious in verse 8. During the Exodus, he proclaimed to Moses, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. God is slow to anger. God's wrath is not easily provoked. He is abounding in mercy or covenant love. And so David can conclude that he will not always contend or strive with us. He'll not always have us in a court of law. He'll not, nor will he keep or maintain his anger against us forever. There is a limit to God's wrath. God's wrath is temporal. Furthermore, David says he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. The point is, if God gave us all we deserved, we would perish. For example, in the Exodus, Israel, along with Egypt, would have lost their firstborn to the angel of death. But God provided a substitute in the Passover lamb. He did not deal with the people of Israel according to their sins. And so, how do you and I stand before God? We don't have a right to stand before God. We can't stand before God because of our sin. And yet, he gives us a Passover lamb. Jesus Christ. And therefore, he removes our sins. The Lamb of God takes away our sins, the sins of the whole world. And therefore, now God does not deal with us according to our sins. Instead, he deals with us in mercy according to his grace. As Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Verse 11 to 14, we see God recovering. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. We have a sketch here of the dimensions of God's mercy. First of all, God's mercy towers over us. God's mercy connects to our fear. As we're humbled, as we stand in reverence and all before him, he reaches out and gives us forgiveness and makes us the recipients of his love. Having described now the vertical dimension of God's mercy, what God gives to us, David continues with the horizontal dimension. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. Just as the east and the west will always be opposite and separated, so too we will be separated from our sins. God has removed them from us. And that took place at the cross. Like a father to a child, so the father has compassion upon us who fear him. And it's because he understands us. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. See, God remembers that we are just a created being. And so therefore, he pities us. He has compassion upon us. 
Verse 15 to 18, God recompensing. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. As David continues meditating upon our weaknesses and God's mercy, he, he recalls that our days are like grass. He's, he's writing how short our life is. Where we flourish as the flower of the field. One day we're beautiful, but the next day we're shriveled up and gone. The wind passes over and it's gone. It's in its place remembers it no more. As Isaiah writes in chapter 40, verse 6 and 7, All flesh is grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the breath, the wind of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. You see, like that grass, we flourish for a season. But then that hot desert wind blows across the field, and we wither up and are gone. But the God remembers the grass. God remembers the flower of the field. And so if God remembers the grass that's here today and burned up tomorrow, if he remembers the fields that wither up and blown away, he will remember us. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. There is no end to God's mercy. And it is upon those who fear him, those in a right relationship with him, his righteous ones. And it will course down to the children's children's children, down through the generations. The Lord will always have mercy upon those who remember him. Finally, verse 19 to 22, God ruling. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who performs his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye his host, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all ye works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Notice, God's kingdom is over all. He establishes his throne in the heaven and rules over all. Everything, everyone, there is nothing and no one that is not under God's ruling, his sovereignty. He is the king, therefore everyone, all things must worship him. And so David concludes his meditation here on God's mercy by calling upon all creation to join in praise. The heavenly angels in verse 20, the host of heaven, the angelic armies are to bless the Lord. And all the rest of creation in verse 22 is to join in in thankful praise to God because of his mercy. And so David joins in saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. As we consider Psalm 103, we have a, we have a display of God's mercy. We deserve rejection. He accepts us despite ourselves. We deserve wrath, but he gives us mercy despite ourselves. We deserve hell, yet we get heaven in spite of ourselves. We deserve the devil, but we get Jesus in spite of ourselves. Indeed, we have seen God's mercy. And therefore, let us offer thankful praise to him. Let's pray. Father, great and mighty God in heaven, we come before you now through our great high priest, Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed us, sanctified us, made us holy and blameless in your sight. Father, you are a God unlike any other. You are a God, yes, of wrath, but a God also of mercy. And it is your holiness that holds the two in perfect balance. Father, as we consider all the acts of mercy that you have poured out upon us, we confess that, Lord, we do not deserve it. We confess, Father, that we deserve wrath, 
We deserve rejection. We deserve hell. And yet, you've given us mercy. You've given us heaven. You've given us mercy and grace. You've given us acceptance in, in the holies. You've given us Jesus. Father, so much for us to give you thankful praise. So much for us to glorify you in. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that you'd enable us to have ears and eyes that are open and listening to see you at work in our lives. And, Father, each and every day when we see your mercy, your mercies that are new every day, each and every time we see your mercy, Father, may we pause and give thankful praise to you. Lord, we give you thankful praise for redeeming us, for blessing us with grace and mercy, mercy and grace that lasts from everlasting to everlasting. And to this we say, amen.